Welcome to the one and only Circle City Setup with your host and the one and only Zach Griffin. Hello and welcome back to Circle City Cinema. I am your host, Zach Griffith, and I apologize for the long hiatus. I was going through some technical difficulties uh, translated. I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have a laptop that worked. I couldn't. I don't know. I I put off buying a laptop. I get weird about big purchases, and I I couldn't muster up the the gusto to go buy a laptop. And I was sitting there on Sunday, watching some bad NFL game. I can't remember who it was, but oh, it was the Cowboys. It was the Cowboys and. The Rams, Rams getting absolutely shellacked by the boys. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to get a laptop. So I went and got one and now I'm back. So good to be back. Sorry for the wait. Uh, But tonight I am talking about the first installment, the original installment to honor this month of October, the night or uh, yeah, the 1984 A Nightmare on Elm Street classic directed by Wes Craven, one of my favorite horror movies by one of the best, not just horror directors, but in my opinion, one of the best genre directors that we have. It was the first and one of the longest running franchises in Hollywood, not just like not even just the horror genre, just one of the longest franchises period produced one of the most iconic and original movie characters in history. You don't need me to tell you who that is. And then of course the feature film debut of Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp, who would go on to become, I think at one point, uh, probably the most bankable star in Hollywood, probably the biggest movie star in the world, especially in the pirates of the Caribbean era. So this kind of, you know, jet started that. And then we have Wes Craven who goes on to, you know, take this franchise uh, to places that the horror genre really hadn't seen up to this point. He goes on in the nineties to direct uh, the scream franchise and he takes us on that journey. So Wes Craven uh, died in 2015 rest in peace. They actually dedicated the latest scream movie to him rightfully so. So great, just a great movie we're talking about tonight. Uh, but for me personally, I have been on a journey here this October, challenging myself to try and watch one scary movie, quote unquote, scary movie each day in October. And I am modifying this right now. If I can watch at least 31 scary movies, so one for each day. Maybe not. Maybe I skip a day, you know, maybe I like last night say I don't watch a scary movie. But as long as I end up with the total of 31 by the end of the month, I'm good. That's that's fine with me. So, so far, I have watched The Conjuring, Annabelle, The Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Poltergeist. Bear with me on this one. Me and Cooper watched this one. Mothra versus Godzilla. Nightmare on Elm Street, The Conjuring 2, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, Annabelle Creation, and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And last night, I watched uh, the new Hellraiser, which it's fine. It's a fine movie. 
I give it like a like six and a half out of ten. Uh, really gory, especially towards the end. If you don't like body horror, if you didn't like Saw, you won't like this movie. How about that? The, to keep it simple. My favorite one that I've watched so far, probably, honestly, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, because I'll get into the whole franchise near the end of this pod, but the third one, the people, like, the kids fight back. They, like, fight against Freddy. Like, they put up uh, this team together, and they, one of the kids, actually played by Patricia Arquette, it was actually a pretty big cast. Lawrence Fishburne was in it. It's a pretty big cast, but... Uh, Patricia Arquette's character has the ability to drag people from the real world into her dreams. And so they use that ability to put together a mini army, a little battalion, to fight Freddy. And it has one of the craziest endings involving Freddy's skeleton. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it, but all these movies, except the fourth one, I couldn't find the fourth one, but all these movies in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise are on HBO Max, so if you want to go watch them, that's where you can do it. I don't know why the fourth one's on there. I'm sure it's some uh, bullshit reason with the, you know, the film rights, the production rights, whatever, but all of them but the fourth one are on there. I strongly encourage you, we're about halfway through the month, strongly encourage you to go watch those movies. I mean, they, they are very entertaining. The first one's a legitimate classic. The third one's a horror classic, Dream Warriors, so check it out. It gets really interesting near the end of the franchise. Uh, Craven does some some cool stuff with it. But uh, before I get into the upcoming movie slate for this year, I want to urge all of you who are like me and trying not to watch the dog shit Thursday night football game tonight, go to my Twitter page and vote in my poll. I have a poll. Well, I guess it's too late now because when the game when this comes out tomorrow. Okay, so let me modify. Tomorrow, when you're listening to this, go to my Twitter page and see how the poll ended up because the dog shit game tonight, of course, is the Commander's Bears. And I have a poll up. The game hasn't even started yet. I have a poll up on my Twitter page. How will the Bears or the Commanders lose? And we have four options here. So we have the first one, the most popular pick so far. QB, fumble, or pick. So this could be Justin Fields or Carson Wentz. And then we have Ron Rivera or Matt Eberflus bungle. A bungling can be anything for a coach. It can be uh, calling a bad play like Nathaniel Hackett a week ago. It can be mismanaging the clock. It can be a, a dumb challenge a dumb timeouts, whatever you want to throw in as a bungle. If a coach can do it, it's an option to vote for. Low IQ penalty, my personal favorite. And then a miracle touchdown, which bad teams uh, have a penchant for just allowing miracle touchdowns. And luckily for us, we have two bad teams tonight. So when you're listening to this, go look at the poll, see how it ended up. Compare it to what actually happened. Be very curious to see how it ended up. Uh, I love these polls, and I love bad teams. I, I love it. I love it. I want to talk about the upcoming movie slate now. So, Black Adam is coming out uh, this month. I'm not paying for this movie. You can miss me on it. I, I, of course, I'm not a big rock guy. 
but he supposedly hinted at a Superman appearance. I've seen some theories it could be a Green Lantern as well. So I, I'm not paying for this movie. I, I'm going to wait for HBO. Then, of course, we have Halloween Ends, which actually comes out this weekend. I'm going to see this. I'm probably going to end up seeing it next weekend. Um, I, I can't wait for that. I really liked Halloween Ends because it didn't take itself very seriously. Uh, it just went for the creative kills, the savagery of Michael. So that was nice. Then, of course, we have Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, comes out in November. Amsterdam, I'm going to urge you to not see this movie in theaters. Uh, this is currently a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. And this director, David O. Russell, has a history of mishandling or just outright fumbling big casts. Uh, best example of this, American Hustle, which came out in 2013, had a, had a star-studded cast. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, Christian Bale, who's actually in Amsterdam. Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and it just was not, by all accounts, I haven't seen it, but by all accounts, not a good movie, but the Academy ate it up. All of the pods I listen to, the hosts do not like this movie, but of course the Academy ate it up mostly because they like Russell and they like big casts, so of course they ate it up. David O. Russell also is really hard to work with. There's a famous story from George Clooney on the set of Three Kings, which is a late 90s war movie that Russell directed, uh, where they got into a, a pretty physical altercation. David O. Russell even headbutted George Clooney. Uh, George Clooney vowed he would never work with Russell again for the way he treated uh, some of the co-stars and some of the crew. So I'm not trying to shit on David O. Russell. I'm just trying to make you aware that he <laughs> he's a fine director, but he's known to bungle big casts. And you should just always be wary of big star-studded casts in general. So a lot of times they don't, they don't tend to uh, meet the potential. And we had a Super Mario Brothers movie trailer last week a lot of people were upset with how chris pratt sounded um which is fair and what's even more frustrating about it i'm personally not frustrated about it but what could be frustrating to somebody is that the voice of mario charles martinet is in this movie in a bunch of cameo roles and why didn't they just go the optimus prime route and just bring back the OG voice actor. In the Transformers movies, they just brought back Peter Cullen from the cartoon to voice Optimus Prime, which is the most logical reason. So I don't know why they wouldn't do that here, but it's a big cast. I'm a big Mario fan. I'm going to see the movie. Um, I've shat on Illumination in the past who was making this movie for their, <laughs> you know, for the Despicable Me shitting out that franchise. I'm just hoping to see an entertaining movie. Uh, I like the cast. I think Pratt will actually do a decent job. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I really am looking forward to it. Let's get into the movie. Let's get into the year the movie came out, 1984. Of course, uh, the Oscars... I'm going to list off all these movies in the Oscars. Uh, yeah, they, they did Oscar things. So 1984, we have 
Firestarter, based on the Stephen King book, starring Drew Barrymore as a kid. Children of the Corn, 16 Candles, one of the great John Hughes movies. The NeverEnding Story, Gremlins, Purple Rain, Footloose, Ghostbusters, Once Upon a Time in America, The Karate Kid, Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, LOL, Dune, Blood Simple, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Terminator, Beverly Hills Cop, Conan the Destroyer, Amadeus, and Police Academy. So 1984 Mount Rushmore I came up with. It's it's pretty straightforward for me, honestly. I had The Terminator, The Karate Kid, Ghostbusters, and Nightmare on Elm Street. And I thought it was very straightforward. I like The Temple of Doom a lot, but it's probably the third best Indiana Jones movie. I like that they went in a darker direction than the first one, but I don't... I don't think I belong to this Mount Rushmore. Amadeus won Best Picture and also won Best Actor for F. Murray Abraham, which Amadeus is a Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart biopic. Um, Listen, the 80s were not a fantastic decade for movies, but granted, it's hard to follow the 70s, which were so stacked and was probably, I think, the greatest American decade for movies. I mean, if you go back and look at that decade, you have, you know, Jaws, uh, The Exorcist, uh, Alien, uh, All the President's Men, Network, the original Star Wars movie. I mean, it's just a loaded, loaded decade. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, you could go on and on. Chinatown. It's just insane. The Godfather, The Godfather 2, Apocalypse Now. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't end. So the 80s, obviously a tough act to follow, but 1984, I thought it was a pretty straightforward Mount Rushmore there. The Terminator, I actually went and saw this. Me and the lovely Abigail went and saw this at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin. I encourage anyone in the Southside indie area to go see a movie there at least once because it is a almost 100 year old movie theater it might be 100 now actually um really great setting to watch a movie they show they always show a old looney tunes cartoon before each movie you get some old-fashioned popcorn you get a good fountain drink it's it's just a really nice place to see a movie i actually saw return of the king lord of the rings return of the king i saw it at the art craft, I think back in February, I think February this year, January. I don't remember, but great experience. I've seen a ton of movies there over my life. And the Terminator was the last one I saw. And it's just a great, it's one of the most creative sci-fi movies that we've had. The Karate Kid. Don't really need to explain that. That's turned into a franchise. Uh, Ghostbusters. Maybe the best Bill Murray movie. Yeah, you can make a case for it. And of course, the movie I'm talking about tonight, Nightmare on Elm Street. So let's get into the premise for A Nightmare on Elm Street. The premise. Teenager Nancy Thompson must uncover the dark truth concealed by her parents after she and her friends become targets of the spirit of a serial killer with a bladed glove in their dreams 
in which if they die, it kills them in real life. So if you if you just transport yourself to 1984 and you read that premise, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, I'm watching that movie. I actually asked my dad who he was 12 when this movie came out, maybe maybe 11. Depends on when it came out. But I asked him, you know, did you lose sleep over Freddy Krueger? And he said, "Hell yeah." Hell yeah. And uh, you know, there's cheesy parts to this movie, but I can't imagine seeing it as a 12-year-old, which was the age I saw The Exorcist. And I've been on the record here probably a handful of times saying how I will never watch The Exorcist again because I saw it when I was in sixth grade. I was 12. I lost sleep for a month. I won't, That's bar none. No competition. No comparison. The scariest movie I've ever seen. And that came out 11 years before A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1973. So I asked my dad, you know, did you lose sleep over this movie? He said, absolutely. Because you had never seen... In fact, it's a fact we're going to get into later. But he said you'd never seen in these movies the killer's face. And you got to see, you know, in Halloween, Michael wears a mask. In Friday the 13th, Jason wears a mask. Even later on in... And scream. I mean, you see their faces eventually, but Ghostface wears a mask. Like you, you see Freddy's face, uh, the charred, burnt face, and his weapon of choice is so unique. It's just, he said, "Hell yeah, I lost sleep." But Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984, written and directed by Wes Craven, produced by Robert Shea, who is the founder of New Line Cinema, and we'll talk about New Line Cinema and the effect that this movie had on New Line Cinema. A very profound effect. Music by Charles Bernstein. Cinematography by Jock Heitken. Edited by Patrick McMahon and Rick Shane. And starring John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Heather Langenkamp, Johnny Depp, and Robert England as Freddy Krueger. 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Could not find a Roger Ebert review for this movie. I looked for like 10 minutes. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. If you go to Roger's website, he he reviews some other films in the franchise, but he doesn't review the the original, which I he had to have. He had to have. I, I just couldn't I couldn't find it. And then a horror movie uh staple. Cost nothing to make, one point million dollar budget, and it made a killing, no pun intended, at the box office. Made a killer profit, fifty-four million at the box office. So we're looking at fifty-three million million profit, and went on to spawn uh, a bunch of sequels. Freddy becomes, you know, one of the most iconic characters that we've had. And it's a franchise that hopefully will come back. I would like to see a new one. Not sure if we'll get one anytime soon, but hopefully. There's a few times where it's legitimately hard to discern between reality and the dream state that the characters are going through. Heather Langenkamp plays Nancy Thompson, who's the main character. And a perfect example of this is the final scene of the movie when Nancy and her friends pile into Glenn's convertible. Glenn is Johnny Depp. 
and the roof automatically goes up uh and it's patterned as freddy's sweater and you don't like you don't really know if it's real or not and then eventually we find out that it is real because nancy's mom waves goodbye to them in this freddy car like nothing is wrong and then she is killed by freddy and this is confirmed in the sequel dream warriors by nancy herself and it's i mean i i didn't know like at the end this movie just kind of ends like the mom is dragged through the front door window. The kids drive off, you know, involuntarily in the in the car. Three of the kids are dead. Nancy's the only one who didn't die. And then it's just over. And then we don't see Nancy in the second one. She's moved out of the house. And then in the third one, Dream Warrior, she's back. And she confirms that her mom was indeed killed. And it's just... It's just a weird ending, not a bad ending, but it's just weird. Um, another instance is when Nancy pulls Freddy out of the dream world and the climax of the movie, uh, Freddy gets away quickly. He's almost invisible. And when he dies, he like sinks into the mom's bed and drags her down into it with him. And you can't really tell if it's real until Nancy's dad who is, of course, in these horror movies, the police chief. He sees it for himself. He is shocked. And they actually cover it a little bit in Dream Warriors when he kind of has, like, PTSD about the whole thing. Him and Nancy have a rocky relationship. They kind of did a good job with it. But those are a couple times when you really can't tell what's real and what's not, which is, I think, a big reason why these movies were so scary when they came out. And then, you know, these scenes are almost David Lynch-esque in that, you know, in some David Lynch movies, Mall and Drive, uh, for a good example, you can't tell what's real and what's not. You can't tell what's a dream and what's not. And it simultaneously accomplishes growing the legend and and growing the mythos of, of Freddy Krueger. I think Halloween did which came out six years prior to this movie is it established these like horror tropes that Wes Craven eventually made fun of in the screen movies where, you know, sexually active teens are typically targeted and killed by the murderer. I won't fall asleep in this movie basically equals I'll be right back, which is actually directly made fun of word for word in the first screen movie by by Stu, Matthew Lillard's character, uh, which, well, you know, Wes Craven made. So it plays into those classic tropes that really in the late 70s and early 80s, horror movies just pounded and pounded into the ground. And this movie just absolutely does the same thing. Um, let's get into some categories here. The best scene. I had Tina's death through Rod's eyes. So Tina, I actually thought the first time I ever saw this, which was a few years ago, Tina is like played up in the beginning of this movie to be the main character. And she's just not, she's just not the main character because she is killed. She is brutally murdered about 20 minutes, probably less into this movie. But again, She's sexually active. 
She is murdered in one of the parents' uh, beds. And she was kind of played up to be the main character. And then you realize after she's brutally murdered and her boyfriend is framed for it, you're like, oh, uh, I don't know who the main character is going to be. Ends up being Nancy Thompson. Like I said, the boyfriend is framed, Rod. And he's seeing the murder take place. And there's like all he's seeing is Tina's body float around. And it, ha- I mean, imagine seeing that your girlfriend is being flung around by an invisible person and uh, stabbed and killed, and you can't do anything about it. You try to do something about it, and you're thrown to the ground because Freddy is basically an immortal. And then Rod is framed for it. He's eventually hanged in prison by Freddy, again, invisible. Um, so, yeah. And then we have Nancy's mom telling of Freddie's initial death, which she's going to come up again. She's going to come up again in probably the most famous segment on the show. Um, she takes Nancy to the basement, shows her the glove that she took off Freddie's hand. And they, she tells the story of the parents in the neighborhood going after Freddy Krueger when he was alive. Freddy Krueger, of course, a child killer. I'll get into some facts about what he was supposed to be uh, in the fun facts section, but telling the story of how they killed Krueger because he got off on some technicality and was set free. They burn him alive. She keeps the glove. She keeps it in the furnace in the basement. And then we have the entire final act, which I kind of talked about earlier. We have Glenn dying in uh, dying pretty brutally. Dying is a uh, a lighter. Uh, dying pretty brutally in his room, uh, leading up to the police coming and investigating, and then Nancy dragging Freddie out of her dream, and then the police see, oh shit, Freddie is real she she wasn't insane she was telling the truth um who got it the worst we have glenn glenn johnny depp murdered by freddie was sucked into his own bed and there was no body there was just a fountain of volcanic eruption of blood mom comes in sees it uh obviously distraught the police say they've seen they've never seen anything like it uh guys wheeling a gurney into the house cop says you won't be needing that it's just really really tough 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 beat for glenn others we have uh tina dies in the bedroom like i said and then rod hanged in his jail cell gotta go with glenn here glenn if you've seen the movie you know what i'm talking about glenn um absolutely gets it the worst (laughs) blocking the back award for the most brainless decision glenn again falling asleep while nancy dreams he had one job all he had to do was stay awake and nancy he couldn't do that he he couldn't do that and he fell asleep Nancy's mom not bringing up Kruger sooner. She took her to a uh, like a facility uh, for sleep testing. 
like a, a sleep study um, when she knew what the problem was the whole time. And then Nancy's dad being a typical schmuck movie cop, totally dismissing any of his daughter's claims. Turns out his wife, ex-wife, they weren't very clear on it, dies. And I'm giving the award to Glenn falling asleep while Nancy dreams. Um, If he had stayed awake, maybe he would have believed Nancy and maybe Glenn would be alive. Maybe Johnny Depp would have come back for some sequels, but he didn't. Slip in the DMs. I'm slipping in the DMs of Robert England to ask him, did you ever think taking the role in this low-budget movie was not only going to change your career, but vault you to iconic, legendary status that, I mean, people still talk about to this day. And I'm going to guess the answer would be, fuck no, I never thought that. I want to talk about the impact this movie had on New Line Cinema. New Line, of course, pretty well known now, but when this movie came out, wasn't. Uh, The studio consistently credits this movie and the franchise with giving it legitimate credibility. They even call it the house that Freddy built. They even call the studio the house that Freddy built. The success of this movie eventually led them uh, to being purchased by Warner Brothers, who went on to produce the remake of this movie in 2010 with Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy. And then they also produced a little trilogy called The Lord of the Rings from 2001-2003. And they also produced the first series of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films. So went on to produce some massive movies, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I've been on the record is, I think, the greatest trilogy in movie history. So New Line Cinema has consistently credited this franchise with what's building them up into what they became. Some fun facts and some fun background on the movie. The premise was inspired. This is crazy. This shit is crazy right here. The premise was inspired by several articles from the LA Times that detailed among, I think I'm saying that right, among refugees who came from China and a couple surrounding countries. Uh, They fled to America due to war and genocide where they were living and they suffered disturbing nightmares and refused to sleep because of them. Uh, Some PTSD type stuff. Some of the male refugees died in their sleep, presumably during the nightmares. So that's where Craven kind of came up with this. Freddy Krueger is inspired by a man that Wes Craven saw when he was a young man the man was walking on the sidewalk next to his home and he briefly glanced at Craven and Craven remembered the voice or not the voice. He remembered the face and used it as inspiration for Freddy. Freddy was initially supposed to be a child molester and rather than a child killer, but he was changed to a child killer because Craven didn't want it to seem like he was exploiting recent molestation cases that had occurred in California. Also, I'm guessing some studio interference caused that as well. In the 2010 remake, Kruger was actually fully portrayed as a child molester. I think they even come out and say it outright in the movie that he was a child molester. Craven compared Freddy to Kronos, uh, a titan who devoured his children. 
in Greek mythology. And Craven was bullied, supposedly, I don't know if I believe this or not, but Craven was supposedly bullied as a kid by a child named Fred, Fred Krueger. I, I don't, I don't know if I believe that, but that's what Craven said. Craven in 2014 had this quote, which is a year before he died. A lot of the killers were wearing masks. Michael Myers, Leatherface, Jason. I wanted my villain to have a mask, but be able to talk and taunt and threaten. So I thought of him being burned and scarred. I thought a knife was too common of a weapon, so I came up with the glove idea. It ended up being genius. I mean, it's one of the most iconic weapons, not only in horror movies, but in cinema, I would say. So that's kind of how Freddy Krueger came about. Disney, this is a fucking crazy fact that I came across. I love doing the research for these because sometimes you find stuff where you're just like, yeah, that's not true. That's not true. And then sometimes you find stuff like this where it's like, yep, that sounds about right. Disney was the first studio to show interest, but Craven declined their offer because they wanted him to significantly dial down the horror aspects and make the movie more family friendly. Shocking. I'm sitting here shocked. I'm shitting myself. I can't believe it. Disney trying to make something family friendly. I can't I can't believe it. I can't believe it. What do they want Freddie and Goofy to shake hands? I don't think so. My rank of this franchise among other slasher horror movies franchises. So the Mount Rushmore for me of slasher horror franchises, I, I, I think it's pretty simple for me. Uh, Halloween, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream. And my rank, I would have it, I have Halloween first, then I would probably have this. And then I would have Scream, and then I'd have Friday the 13th. So that's it, folks. That is my Nightmare on Elm Street pod. I want to give some shout-outs. Uh, I know Lynn Sandy just had a pod come out today about week five in the NFL. I'm sure Caleb will be loving the Ron Rivera, Carson Wentz saga for the rest of the season. Alex has been doing his top 100 on Power Hour, so check that out. I will be back probably next week. I want to get another movie in. I want to have the superhero Bonanza draft that I've been planning for quite some time. So stay tuned, folks. And as always, thank you very much for listening.